Thank you. Can you hear me? Good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Joshua, and uh, that's my wife, Lydia. I won't embarrass her any further, but you can wave your hand out there. <laughs> uh, so I, I came to PPH about two and a half years ago after we got married. And uh, so I joined Lydia in PPH. And we currently now live in Tolok Blanga. Uh, I enjoy living in Tolok Blanga because it's very green, it's very central, and also there are a lot of amenities. And so one Saturday, as we were exploring uh, Tolok Blanga, I discovered there's actually an archery range in Tolok Blanga. So if you look at this, this is actually the PSA building that's pretty close by, down the street. But to my surprise, there's an archery range, and there were lots of people practicing. Well, this picture was taken uh, just this week, so there are not many people because it's a weekday. But typically on a Saturday, there are lots of people, uh, mostly adults, some kids, and they're all practicing. And the first uh, Saturday I saw them, I made sure I stood a distance away in case there were really bad archers in the crowd. But as they were uh, doing their target practice, um, some of them hit the target, some of them were off, but very few were on the bull's eye. Very few hit the bull's eye. And as I reflected on archery, I realized that in my own life, as I sought to look at God's will, sometimes I thought of God's will as if I was doing archery practice. I wanted to hit the bull's eye. Like God's will was like a dot that I had to hit. And I had this concern, this fear, that if I miss this dot, this bull's eye, perhaps I would have missed God's best for me. Maybe I would have had his second best or third best. So this lingering fear was there about hitting God's best, that bull's eye. And I think uh, the most obvious time when I was seeking out God's will in my life was when I was thinking of a career switch. Uh, thank you, Pastor Chiming, for that little blurb earlier. And thank you for the chance to speak today. So I currently work for a non-profit organization. And I, look, uh, I negotiate vaccine prices on behalf of low-income countries, on behalf of uh, 73 countries. So we pool their, their demand together and I negotiate on their behalf to get a better price for them. And also I look at the management, the financing, and the, uh, the logistic systems to deliver and utilize those vaccines in those countries. But I've been doing this for 10 years now. And in the past, I used to be an investment manager. I was investing in airlines, aircraft, and jet fuel. So quite a big change. And so people ask me, Josh, how did you make that big change? And so stay tuned. I'll share that as we go along uh, today's sermon. And I'll share with you how I made that change from uh, investments in airlines and aircraft to now uh, in international health. So today, uh, my sermon is very simple. I'll share three parts. The first part, I'll share with you the three different definitions of the will of God. Because it means different things in different contexts, the will of God. After that, I'll share with you two principles that are very important as we seek after His will. And lastly, I'll share some very practical steps that I've taken as I sought after His will. Okay? So, today I will be reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. And the setting is this. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. Hence, the letter is to the Romans. And Rome, at this point in time, was the most powerful city in the world, rich, influential, full of persuasion and every temptation you can think of. 
And at this point in time, what's interesting is that Paul had never been to Rome at this point. He's never been there. He's heard about the church. He's heard about the growing church. And so, he didn't have a chance to talk to them in person. And so he sent this letter ahead of him. And he wanted to do this partly because he wanted to make sure that the church understood what it meant to follow Jesus Christ. And if you don't see someone in person, you have to do a lot of explanation. And hence, this letter of Romans, if you read it from chapters 1 to 11, provides perhaps the most comprehensive description of what we believe as a Christian. It starts off the problem of sin, and then it goes on to God's wonderful plan to save us, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. So that's chapters 1 to 11. So imagine this. He's sending it to a church that he has never seen before. Hence, he has to give a very complete explanation. So now it comes to chapter 12. So can we all read together? You have it on the screen. Let's read together. Uh, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. This verse comes after 11 chapters of describing what we should believe in. Hence, the word therefore here is very important. So, after you read chapters 1 to 11 of what has God done for us, therefore, this is your response. So, in chapters 1 to 11, he talks about God's great mercy for us, of how the problem of sin was conquered by his son's death on the cross. So, this therefore here is very important. In light of God's mercy, therefore, you should live. And then he goes on in chapters 12 onwards. This is how you should live. Make sense? So, chapters 1 to 11, if you believe in this, therefore, this is your response. You should live this way. So, I think that's very important to set as a context because we talk about discerning God's will. But the reason why you and I should care about God's will is this. It's because it is our response, our response to His love for us on the cross. That's why we do this. So you have the context now. But I think it's important, because uh, we're talking about the will of God, it's important to define today what is the will of God. What does it mean? Now the Greek word here, uh, telema, actually means the same. It's the same Greek word in different contexts, but depending on how you use it, there are three definitions or three meanings to the will of God. There are three meanings. And what I'll do is I'll give you three sets of examples to help you understand the different meanings in the different contexts. Okay? So the first meaning, the first set of examples is actually rather, uh, rather tragic. So I recently got a phone call from my best friend in college. Uh, his name is Joe Martinez. And Joe was... Um, pouring out uh, his sorrow to me. It was because in the past year, his nephew uh, died in a very tragic car accident uh, based on the police report and the forensics. The nephew uh, died because he most likely fell asleep 
while driving at the wheel after a night shift at the hospital. There was no alcohol, there was no drugs in his blood, but you could see from the tracks of the car tracks, he slowly veered off and then fell into the ditch. And this was in uh, Arizona, so there's a cliff he fell off. And then, in the following year, uh, Joe's brother, the father of the nephew, died of colon cancer. And so Joe was pouring out his grief to me, and he said to me, Josh, I don't understand why this all happened, but I take comfort that everything that happens, happens according to the will of God. Okay? So, the will of God. So this is the first set of examples. I call it the sovereign will of God. The second set of examples, uh, another brother of mine was struggling. And he struggled because despite all his efforts at reconciling his marriage, uh, his wife wanted a divorce and he was very troubled. He was troubled because he said to me, Josh, I can't do this because I believe that divorce is outside of God's will. Another brother uh, ran uh, an internet broadband firm in Nigeria and as he was about to close a deal, a major deal, the other party asked for a major bribe. So he was torn. Josh, I need this business, but I can't go ahead and give the bribe because this is outside of God's will. So I call this second set the moral will of God. And the third set of examples is a lot uh, less serious. Uh, a sister of mine who goes to this church was asking that we pray with her. Pray with me, Josh, because I'm deciding between a university to go to, one on the East Coast and one on the West Coast of the US. Pray so that I can seek God's will for my life for this university. And then another brother also was looking for whether I should move on to a new job or stay on to my job. What's God's will for me? So this third set, I call it the individual will of God. So the first is the sovereign will of God, and it covers both good and evil. And no matter what you do or I do, it, we can't change the sovereign will of God. And the best example of this is uh, Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. That even though the evil one had a part to play in God's own son's death, that God's will was still, still went ahead. That despite the death, he used the death, this most evil and vile thing, and changed it and used it for our salvation. And to be honest, only in the light of eternity, we can truly, fully understand the sovereign will of God. But it doesn't depend on us or our actions. The second example that I gave you was around uh, the case of corruption or the case of divorce. And this is what I call the moral will of God. It's a set of principles that God gives us and helps us to live according to this moral will. However, we often can go against and we often do go against the moral will of God. And the third set of examples I gave you about university and jobs to take can be, can be moral or non-moral decisions, but it's an individual will that God has for us. So we have sovereign, moral, and individual. And to contrast it a bit further, 
in His moral will, God will give you principles on how to choose a job or how to choose a university. But He won't tell you in His in a moral will which university specifically to choose. So with this definitions in mind, if you look back at verse 2 again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So, will of God here, which definition is it referring to? Sovereign, moral, or individual? And the answer depends on the rest of the chapter. If you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to talk about this is how you should live. This is how you should serve the people in the church. This is how you should relate to authorities. So in this context, this verse most likely or almost certainly refers to the moral will of God, the principles. However, we can also use this as we look at individual will, but I think it's important to first make it clear that this verse most specifically refers to the moral will of God. And so I think uh, with this context, imagine target practice in archery. This, the target, is the moral will of God. And somewhere within it is the individual will of God for you. It's important to note that God's individual, for, individual will for us will never, ever be outside of this moral will. Okay? So I've given you the three definitions, and I think that's important to set up the context. So with this in mind, let us look at this. I want to share two very simple principles on how we can discern and then live out uh, the will of God, uh, whether it's His moral, sovereign, or individual will. But in this case, let us start with the, the two principles that I have in mind. So the verse starts off by saying this, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So, the first principle is this, that in order to discern God's will for us, and in order to live out this will, we have to no longer be conformed to this world. Instead, we have to be conformed to God. And in the second part, we have to be renewed so that we are transformed. And this first principle is about not being conformed. And... I can tell you, brothers and sisters, it is very hard to not to live uh, in a different way. It's very hard to live countercultural to the world because every day when we work, when we study, when we live, we eat, we breathe, we smell, we live the, God, the world's principles. It's all around us. And so it's really hard to live, to live differently. Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting is that uh, after I, I used to work in Nigeria for my, my current uh, foundation. And after a few years, as I was leaving, uh, someone found out that I was a Christian, that I was actually preaching at church on Sunday. And then he said to me, Josh, I never knew you were a Christian. And then it struck me that a lot of times, people don't actually know that we're a Christian because we're not any different. I mean, we may be different in some ways. I mean, hopefully you're not weird. That's why we look different. But we're not very different, and so we live in conformity. We're just like everyone else. But the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. And I can tell you that it is extremely difficult. And so what's the answer? 
how do we break free from this conformity? And the only answer is in Jesus Christ. That without the grace of God, without God's grace in us, we will have no way of escaping this trap that we're in. Because left to our own strength, left to our own abilities, we can never try as hard as we may break free from this. But thanks be to God, there is an answer. And the answer has come in the form of Jesus Christ that has given us the freedom to break free. And the second principle that I have today is this. In order to break free from this conformity is that God has given us His Word and has given us His Word. And this Word requires that God's Word will reflect into our lives. And God's Word needs to shine into all the darkest, deepest parts of our lives. Slowly but surely, to expose the darkness that's in us. And what is in the light will change, eventually change. You know, at this point in time, um, as I was sharing my, my sermon outline with some people, and they were saying, so at this point in time, Josh, people may say, I know the Word of God. I mean, I know the Bible. But the truth is, being transformed and being renewed is not just about more education. It's not about reading more. It's not about more knowledge. It requires a true transformation that requires the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to speak into our lives. Uh, I became a Christian uh, when I was 15. And by the time I was in university, about eight years later, I, I had uh, done quite a lot of things in the church. I come from a non-Christian background. By the time, by, by the time I was uh, out of university, I had led you know, my multiple Bible studies. I've gone to many church camps. In fact, I had also led uh, and been on a number of mission trips abroad. So I thought I knew the Word of God quite well. I started you know, patting myself on the shoulder. You know, you sort of think, I'm, I'm getting there. I think I know the Word of God. And there were a lot of scriptures that I started, I memorized and I knew about it. Uh, and one of them that I knew was God's greatest commandment. So it's not a, not a trick question, but what is God's greatest commandment? Anyone? It's not a trick question. The answer is? I think I hear it. Uh, love your... Yes? Yes, love your God. And then the second greatest commandment is? Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So the two, I also knew. If you ask me, like, yeah, I knew it. But God began to work in my heart to show me that I don't actually live according to this. And the Word of God has not actually renewed or transformed my life. Uh, and the truth is, instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, this is how I live. And this is what the world practices. The world says this, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Love your, uh, your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And yes, I don't tell people that I hate my enemy, but inside, it was not changed because I lived in that way. And the most obvious example of this happening was uh, I had many rivals in my life at that point in time. I had many rivals, and I don't say it out, but inside, I harbored a lot of resentment, a lot of rivalry, a lot of bitterness. And my greatest rival at that point in time was 
uh, Albert. Sorry, Albert. Uh, Albert was, uh, both Albert and I were ASEAN scholars. We came from the same town in Malaysia to study in Singapore. We studied in the same secondary school. We went to the same hostel. We were in the same class and we were in similar CCAs. And on paper, we should be good friends. But no, we were rivals. We competed to, be, to have the best grades in class. He was uh, the president of the Interact Club. I was a lowly secretary of the Interact Club. He was on the winning debate team. I was on the semi-winning badminton team. And we competed to be popular in hostel. And so when he went to a junior college in the East, I went to the junior college in the West, because thank God, good riddance to bad rubbish. We lost touch, but there was obviously a huge rivalry going on between us. Well, maybe on my side, maybe not on his side. So one day, uh, after coming back from, we both went to the US for university. So we both came back. Well, I, I came back first. I didn't know what happened to him. So I came back, and I was invited uh, for coffee. So uh, we were in this uh, cafe in Orchard Road at the Heron. Uh, it's the old Heron because now that cafe is gone. For some of you, you're not a hit because you know what I'm talking about. But this was in uh, 2002. It's gone now. So I, was, I went into the cafe. Uh, I was invited by Zimin, a friend, of, a friend of mine. I walked in. I saw Zimin there out at the corner of the uh, cafe. And then guess what? I saw Albert. I turned around and walked out. He didn't see me yet, but I quickly walked out. I was like, Phew, I dodged that bullet there. But as I walked out, all those years of resentment, of bitterness, of rivalry, of insecurity came up. And I said, what am I doing, God? What am I doing? I have to go back. I have to go back. So very reluctantly, I went back into the cafe. I said hi, and Albert gave a very big smile. Hi, Josh. I gave my biggest fake smile. I sat through coffee painfully. And then he shared something with me. Josh, I have really good news for you. I have come to know God. No, you can't be a Christian in my mind. You're too evil. And to make matters worse, at the end of coffee, he asked me this question, Josh, would you be willing to be my accountability partner and pray with me weekly? I did what I should have done. I said, no. And there was awkward silence. Because Zeman was there, I was there, and I said no to Albert. But, brothers and sisters, for the last three months before coming back to Singapore, I was praying. I was praying almost daily, asking God, give me an accountability partner when I go back to Singapore. Give me an accountability partner. I should have told God, not Albert. But, so, I knew I had to say yes. So I said yes. But, I said to Albert, but if it doesn't work out, let's not force it, okay, Albert? And instead of meeting every week, let's meet once every two to three weeks. I wanted to guard myself. 
So we began to meet. And initially, I was completely closed up because I was convinced that Albert was trying to get me. I was convinced that he was trying to get dirt out of me that he could use against me down the road. That was a level of my own insecurity and my own heart. But weekly, as we met, as we read the scriptures together and as we prayed together, God began to speak in my heart. Josh, love your neighbor. Love your enemies too. And he began to change my heart and he exposed to me the deepest, darkest parts of my heart that were coming out every week as I came out and met with Albert. It all came out and the God and the Lord began to change. And then he also helped me to realize that I've been doing this with a lot of people. You may be nice to them in person, but deep down, I held insecurities, rivalries, bitterness, anger against people that I considered as my enemies. And God began to change my heart. And so, it ended off with a happy story because eventually I became Albert's uh, best man at his wedding. Uh, we are good friends now. We're still very good friends. But this really taught me uh, that the truth is, unless the Word of God pierces into our deepest, darkest parts of our life, we will live in conformity to the world. And so I say to you this day, brothers and sisters, it's easy to know the Word of God by reading it, but let God's Word truly transform, truly renew your mind. And what's important to realize is that the last part of this verse states that, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I want to propose to you this day, unless God does a transformation, unless we are conformed to Him, we will not accept God's will as good, acceptable, or perfect. We will rebel against it in our heart. We will put it aside. We will live in a way that does not conform to His will. So I wanted to give you these principles because rather than just focus on what is God's will, it's really important that we must recognize that God has to first change our hearts and transform us. So, coming back to uh, this, what I started off by sharing is that there are three types of will of God. There is the sovereign will of God, there's the moral will, and then there's the individual will. And God's individual will for us will always sit within His moral will. And His moral will is largely described in the Bible. Uh, what's also important is that we don't only focus on just knowing His will, but we have to live it out by having it transform us and having, it, and having us become conformed to His Word. So, I know we are at PPH, so we like to be practical. So, I'll give you some three practical steps uh, on seeking out His will. And so, the first step is very obvious. We've talked about it already. The first step is to read His Word. If you want to seek out God's will for your life, both His moral will and His individual life for you, you will have to read His Word. Because in His Word, within that confines or that, that target, lies where, how we should decide. Because I can tell you, anything that falls outside of this moral will is certainly not part of His individual will for you. So you have to seek His Word. 
but not just read it as if it's a simple text, but let it sink into your heart. Let it challenge you. When you read the Word of God, when it challenges you, when it speaks to you, respond to it and let it transform you. The rain is here. There are also, but you may ask Josh, but Josh, there are a lot of things that I'm deciding upon. They're not found in this will. So I give some examples. What job should I take? What master's program should I go for? What school should I go to? Who should I date? And a lot of these questions are actually not necessarily moral questions. They're not moral decisions. And so there's freedom to choose within that moral uh, will. There's freedom to choose. So you may ask, Josh, how do I decide on this individual will for me? Well, in that case, we need to have wisdom. And the way of wisdom is partially found in the scriptures in the Bible. Bible teaches us scripture. But beyond that, I would encourage you to pray and fast and ask God to speak to us. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all of us without finding fault, and it shall be given to you. So if you are making a decision, do pray and ask and seek God because He will give you wisdom, wisdom to choose. And don't worry, He's not going to judge you and say, you didn't do this and this and you were wrong back then, so I'm not going to give you wisdom. The Bible says, if you lack wisdom, He will give to you generously without finding fault. So that's God's promise for you today. That first, read His Word, but then also pray and ask God for wisdom as you decide. And lastly, uh, is to seek godly counsel. Proverbs 19 verse 20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Uh, I'm going to plug in for the mentor, mentoring program here. The plug. Uh, he didn't, Pastor Chiming didn't pay me to do this. But the mentoring program is actually a very good opportunity for us to to partner and to journey along with someone else who's been a believer and through that process to walk together, to ask, to pray together with your mentor. But beyond just mentors, uh, the scripture also encourages us to seek out godly counsel from our parents, from our cell leaders, from our pastors. I know sometimes it's hard to expect and to ask, but this is where humility comes in. We have to humble ourselves and seek godly counsel uh, for others around us. So the steps are pretty simple. First, to read God's Word, to seek God's Word and to understand His will for us. And then to pray and fast. And lastly, to seek godly counsel. But the application is quite difficult. Going back to my initial question, I mean, the initial question that I posed to you, how do I switch my careers from one that, dwelt, uh, that worked on airlines and aircraft to one that looks on vaccines now. Uh, in many ways, I practice the three steps I described to you. And so I had two decisions, right? The first decision that I had to make was this. Should I even leave my current career? Should I move out? So that's the first question. And to do that, I gave myself one year. I, I gave myself one year and I said, I will pray and fast for that one year to decide before I would move. Because even though I had 
some desire in my heart to work among the poor, even though I had this inkling that I want to get involved in international development uh, and in, this, in uh, working among uh, low-income countries. But I was very uncertain because I've never met anyone who worked in this field before. Plus, it seemed like a very uncertain industry. I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone who's been in it before. So it, was, it seemed very risky. But in my heart, I said, let me just seek God. So for that one year, uh, pretty much for every lunchtime for that year, I would uh, fast and go to a quiet place near my office and I would pray and ask God for direction. I did this for, that, uh, for pretty much the whole year. And also during that year, I spent time reading his scriptures, asking God for direction. And also, I sought out my pastors, uh, my cell leaders, and my cell group members to pray with me as I decided upon this. And so eventually I said, yes, I will take that leap and I'll explore and move on out of my current job and move on to a new industry. So the second question that I had to, well, the second choice I had to make was then uh, which master's program to apply for. Because in this case, uh, all the jobs that I saw online, almost every single job required a master's qualification or some experience. I had no master's and no experience, so I had to do one or the other. So I decided to apply for three master's programs. Uh, thankfully, I'm very grateful. I got into three programs. And the first two programs were in the United States, and they were two, those two programs were two years long. Uh, and the third program was in the United Kingdom. It was a nine-month program, so much shorter. The first two programs, I'm very thankful I received a scholarship, and it came without a bond. So it's a bond-free scholarship, full scholarship. The third program, the nine-month program, had no scholarship. Uh, so my mind was set on the first two programs, and they were my, first, my top choice anyway. And I was looking through the programs I was deciding. My pastor came up to me one day, and he surprised me. Josh, I don't know how to ask this, but I need to ask you anyway. Would you consider taking up the nine-month program so that you can come back to Singapore early and serve with me in the ministry? I was surprised. I said to him, I will consider carefully your request. And then I prayed and I sought the Lord. Because it was a hard decision. But as I sought the Lord and as I prayed and I fasted about this decision, I went back to my pastor and said, okay, I will do that. I will take up the nine-month program. So in the months that went ahead, in the months, because this was in May, so in June, a bit of uncertainty in my heart. What did I just do? What did I just say yes to? And one morning, as I was doing my quiet time, I heard this very soft and still voice. He asked me three questions. These three questions. The first question was, what if you made a mistake, Josh? First question. Second question, what if your pastor made a mistake? Third question, what if your pastor is selfish? As I sat there, as I reflected on these questions, this certainty came well down in my heart, and I said, it is okay, it is all right, even if I was mistaken, 
even if my pastor was mistaken, and even if he was selfish, God, I know that you are in control. The reason for this is at the crossroads of my life, I was at the crossroads, and in, the, in that one year as I was praying, reading His Word, seeking, fasting, and asking God for direction, what really mattered wasn't the fact that I suddenly knew what was the right choice, whether it's choice A, B, or C. What truly mattered was that God had changed my heart. He had renewed my mind. And He helped me realize that other people in the world, the world, the world will trust in chariots and horses. They will trust in security and finances and wealth. They will trust in reputation. But we can trust in God. And in that year, God also changed my heart. I began to see God for who He is, that my Father in heaven is a loving God. He is not only loving, He's all-knowing that in Him, I have complete security and trust. And that was the biggest change that I had in that year. So I say to you, my brothers and sisters, Yes, it's important that we seek God's will, both His individual will and His moral will for our life. Yes, read His scripture. Discern what is His moral will. And then ask for wisdom on making that choice. Ask by praying, ask by seeking out godly counsel. But I want to end off by saying this. More importantly, ask God to renew your mind and transform your heart that Eventually, you can have this freedom. Freedom to know that your life does not depend on whether you make that perfect choice. That your life does not depend on whether you hit that bullseye of every single choice. Your life does not depend on that. Your life is secure in the hands of God. And because of that, we can rest well and know that His perfect will for us, His will for us is good, his will for us is acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. I want to invite the musicians to come up on stage. But even as we reflect, let just let the words of Christ speak to us. And as the musicians play softly in the background, I, I believe that the Lord is speaking to us today. He's speaking to different groups of people today. Some of us may be making life choices. You're choosing between different opportunities. You're making choices. But there is fear in your heart may be fearful that God help me make that right choice but you are fearful because if you make that wrong choice fear that you may miss out God's best for you you may end up being second best or third best or you may end up 
falling out of God's will. God wants to reassure you this day that He is bigger than our choices, that He is bigger, that He will hold you in His hand. And you do not need to fear about missing that bull's eye because God is bigger than your choices that you can put your trust in. And to others, the second group of people, the Lord wants to also reassure you of this. He wants to reassure you of His character that God is not a God that is waiting to punish you, make the wrong choice. And God is not a God that's waiting to say, there you go again, making that mistake. But instead, the character of God, God is a loving Father. He knows that we are weak, but because of that, He will be strong on our behalf. He wants to remind you today, my brothers and sisters, that God's character, that He is a loving Father, that no matter what we have done, we cannot lose the love of God for us. And no matter what you will do, you can't gain more of it because He loves you just as you are. So I want this to think in your hearts this day. Let the words of God speak to us, renew us, transform us, so that we no longer conform to the world, that we may desire after God's will for our lives, His perfect, acceptable, and good will for our lives. If that's you today, even as we sing this song, I would encourage you to respond to God in your own way and respond and ask God, God, change my heart. God, God, free me from this bondage of fear. God, let me know you more. Let me trust you. The words of Christ must start generations. Son of God, teaching us to pray. Adequate words, Father, have your will.
you reign and here we stand victorious in your name together we pray to God the Lord has spoken to you today open your palms in response to God to say God forgive me if I relied on my own strength but help me come back to you again help me to trust in you as I open my palms God I give my fears my insecurities about the future but as I open my palms, I receive the assurance that comes from you, O oh God. And as I open my palms, I accept your will for my life, your perfect, your acceptable and good will. Respond to God. God will give you and He will renew your heart. He will renew your mind that you'll be transformed to be more like Him. Lord, Father, you see the hands that are open right now. You see the many hands. And these hands are in response to you, God. 
know where we are at, you know the choices we are making, and you know where we are at. So God, we give to you our lives, our choices. And God, we know that we are secure. We are secure in your hands. So God, see these hands. Respond to our hearts and transform us. And let us become more like you. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.